I'm with you. One day I'm going to snap. You know, one day it's going to happen. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hey, Seth. Oh, no. We got no audio. Oh, no. Now we're just stuck with your face. I got your producer. What's uh? What are you sporting there, tattoo wise? Me? Yes. What is that? A ladder? Well, yeah, that was the one I was talking about. Thank you for understanding. It's a mermaid. It's a mermaid. <laughs> yes, I was I was looking down your shirt collar, not at your arm. So. <laughs> uh, my my kids' names go down my ribs, and then this is a Celtic cross. Ah. The top in Celtic says "All are welcome," and then the bottom in Latin says. Post tenebrous looks after darkness light. Are you are you of Celtic stock? Uh, you know, if you go back far enough, apparently. Um, Fair enough. I re- when we were uh, looking through family tree stuff at one point. Uh, so McKelvey is a Irish, Scottish last name. I assume that's your last name. And it's not mine. Uh, okay. It's yeah. just, that's just a fun fact. Yeah, <laughs> just want to throw it out there. So, I, I wasn't clear on the rest of the story. Um, I assume that you're Irish. Well, O'Donnell is an Irish name, <laughs> and I've met people of that of that name. So it's it's we named my daughter that because it's Got a family it. last name that we do have, and I remember talking to my grandmother one time about it, and I think she said something like it's it's Scotch Irish because they hopped islands. Indeed. A lot back then. I, so, like, if you look at it, I think most of them say the Scottish names are, I think, M A C. That would make sense. And then some of the uh, Irish, they don't have the same M C kind of front. But anyway, hey producer, can I don't you fact know. check this? That's right. I'm I'm always I'm always afraid to talk about it because I know there's somebody out there that's like really passionate about it and then they're like they're yes. they're they're on the other side listening like no this is all wrong I'm like it really doesn't matter that is this much making anymore. the cut or is this just oh yeah it'll totally make the cut oh, that's a great it's a great fun intro well but, that was what I was gonna say when I moved to New York one of the like regular small talk questions when you meet somebody in the Bronx is they'll just ask what are you and they mean ethnically. Yeah. And uh, so I told my parents that this was years ago, and they said, well, what do you say? And I said, oh, well, I say well, I'm Irish unless I'm in an Irish neighborhood, and then I say I'm German. <laughs> 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 because I'm not, I'm, we're not Irish in the sense that if you're from Ireland, you're like, yeah, you're one of us. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but then my parents, like several years later, did 23 and Me mm-hmm. for each other for Christmas. Yeah. And we found out we're not even Irish. We've just been telling ourselves that for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't remember where the spelling came from for us, but when we named one of our uh, daughters McKelvey, and I was talking to my parents, and uh, they were overseas, um, and so I was telling them, "Hey, we we landed on names, and we're gonna call one of them McKelvey." Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, but we're gonna change the spelling. And and my dad said, "Oh yeah, what?" Like, how are you changing it? I said, we're going to do M-C-K-E-L-V-E-Y. So we're adding an E between the V and the Y. And he goes, 
oh, that's not how you spell it at all. <laughs> I was like, what? He goes, yeah, it's just M-C capital E-L-V-Y. I was like, oh, we have completely. <laughs> it's like, like so it's a great moment for us. Yeah, but she has a great DJ. I mean, she could be a hip-hop star because she could be M-C-L-V. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do the other thing now. <laughs> no, that's why we have you here. For, for those kind of ideas. I just love the Bronx story, unless I'm in an Irish neighborhood. <laughs> All right, hey Seth. So you know how you've got those three maxims? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm think I'm familiar with those. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And one of them, I believe, is I don't have an agenda for other people. I have an agenda for myself. Correct. Uh, that is untrue today for me and you. Corey has an agenda. I have for an you. agenda. For you, God loves you, and He has a plan for your life. That's Meaning, right. Corey has a plan for yes. your life. <laughs> Yes, I do. Or at least for this next... I often confuse those two figures. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> at least for the next 40 minutes, I have an agenda for you. All right. Um, so here, here's, here's said agenda. One, I'd love to quickly recap in three minutes or less what we talked yep. about last week. And Excellent. then I would like to do a little uh, modeling for people, what okay. this could look like. And you are going to be... You're going to be the one who has... You know, you're going to be the question asker. We're going to be the people like, hey, I live in a neighborhood and you're you're the one. Yes, I, I understand that. I yes. I will be in the driver's seat for trying to take a regular conversation and make it a spiritual conversation. That's, I understand you correctly. Role play. That's right. That's right. Exactly what I'm trying right. to say. I'll be a ship captain. That's why you get the big bucks. Um, so you're the captain. You're the driver. Yes. You're the king. Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> that's, I was about to get really That's right. Yes. Passionate. <laughs> Open your poetry textbooks to page one and yes. rip it out. Yes, I watch <laughs> solid. Watch that movie once a year, right? Rip it. Goodbye, J. Richard. Whatever. Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so let me recap quickly. So last time we talked about basically the the three maxims that we use when we're training people to have spiritual conversations. Another way says evangelism. Uh, and the first thing was we talked about kind of a mode excuse me, a mosaic approach. So when we're, when we're doing evangelism, we're trying to build a, a mosaic or a, that is a picture of who God is and, and what God's kingdom is. And like any mosaic, it's made up of a lot of small pieces. So conversation by conversation, we're going to try to get pieces on the board. And we're not finished until they know what this is an image at, that they're looking at, what this thing is. And so when we're doing that, our three maxims, we said, one, if you, if you can't have a conversation, you can't have a spiritual conversation. Seems like common sense, but we often have an approach to evangelism that way. Mm-hmm. We inverted that and said, the good news is if you can have a conversation, you can probably have a spiritual conversation because spiritual conversations are just conversations. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we said, okay, what are the things people talk about every day? And let's try to find ways to take those regular conversations and insert something about our identity as a disciple uh, that is relevant to the topic without hijacking it. And when we do that, our second maxim is we don't have an agenda for other people. We have an agenda for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So my goal is not to persuade you or convince you of anything. It is to be openly Christian in a way that you can respond to if you want to. And if you don't want to, the conversation will just keep going like a normal conversation because my only agenda is for me as a communicator. <laughs> the last maxim, which I don't actually believe we got to, uh, but is worth talking about in this episode, it, is we say, okay, if you only know how to have one kind of conversation, mm-hmm. you can only have one kind of conversation. Yeah. And what we mean by that is if if the only gospel conversation you know how to have is the story you practiced at home 
or the you know the diagram you can draw on a napkin the, the bridge illustration three circles whatever it is you know that if you've got an evangelistic elevator speech and that's the only conversation you know how to have then that's the only conversation that you probably will have mm. and what will happen is either the entire world gets reduced to where the only spiritually receptive people in my eyes are the people receptive to what i feel comfortable talking about mm. and that's not fair right or I will go have a successful evangelistic conversation and then be intimidated because I don't know how to have another one. Yeah. I only knew how to have the one I had. Yeah. And and we I don't think it is fair to put people in a position where whether or not they're receptive to the gospel is determined by whether or not they're receptive to one interaction. So good. Because I don't know what's going on with this person before I walk in the room. And I want to give them lots of opportunity to respond to various aspects of the gospel and build a more complete picture than try to close a sale in one interaction and then say, oh, well, they weren't very spiritually receptive. I really don't know that. They weren't receptive to the conversation we just had. Mm. The gospel is much bigger than that. Mm. Yeah. I, lo I love that approach for so many reasons. One, because it just it scratches the itch of just my own experience of uh, being uncomfortable with evangelistic uh, presentations. Uh, while at the same time, like I do understand like there are opportunities every once in a while where that may be natural to take out a napkin and draw a picture or whatever. I mean, Brian does it all the time, not in evangelistic <laughs> conversations as much, but it's just like, I do draw a lot of things. I was like uh, immediately offended when he said the, that. The, <laughs> and I'm the same way, you know, you give me a whiteboard, you give me something, I want to draw a picture. But as far as like, yeah, we're having these, these conversations with people about things of the, the kingdom and our identity. And that, that is so much more natural, real, you know, like it feels authentic. Who likes to have a pitch to give it given to them? Mm -hmm. It's just so it never feels natural in a conversation. And so I just like when you talk about this, it, it, it's it, the other side of it for me is, is one that it, it's really similar to my experience. But two, it's just it makes me feel like I can do this. You know, like it's a freeing yes. thing instead of this intimidating thing. Well, and I'll, I'll say just for the, the sake of. Uh, being fair to both sides. I mean, there, there are people who within their own personality or, or their own charisma, that sort of presentational approach works well for them yeah. and is natural to them. And I'm not saying don't ever do that, but we usually front load it because it's emotionally easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man. You know what I mean? We usually make evangelistic decisions around, uh, essentially what, what puts the least burden on me to check this box, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it is pretty unrelational. It doesn't require much practice or, or development of skill. Uh, and in that sense, it, it is often more about managing our own anxiety than it is about sort of incarnationally engaging the person sitting across from us. Wow. That's good. I mean, it's not good. Yeah, no, it's th good. that was one of those the managing our own anxieties is wow i just had to sit with that one for a second yeah. i was i was still in my head going to be fair i don't actually draw out gospel presentations on a napkin nor does Corey do it on a, that's the one area i don't use that stuff right, totally. but then when you said the managing anxieties it's like yeah that i think that's what so many people want are wanted in all of these like canned presentation experiences that I sat through and learned how to air quote, share the gospel. Yeah. It's like, uh, now I have the thing. Oh, I have the thing. 
It's done. Mm-hmm. I can just well, go I, offer this this one dish I can cook to all of these people and hope it tastes good to all of them. Yeah. I mean, I remember some of my early evangelistic practice in New York, I would be on the subway and people would get on to do their testimony, which if, if you want to talk about something that's not contextualized <laughs> and at the same time, paradoxically, is super contextualized in New York, mm. standing on a public train and giving like a, a loud sometimes slam poetry testimony of faith it's like if you want to see everybody's eyes glaze over do that (laughs) and and so i would be sitting there and i would feel conflicted because i'm like all right on the one hand i i am a professional evangelist i want to see more people hear the gospel but secondly it's almost like that jerry seinfeld when he goes to the when he goes to the priest and he says you know i think my dentist converted to judaism he says, this offends you as a Jew. He says, no, it offends me as a comedian. <laughs> like, I, says, you know, he converted Judaism for the jokes. Like, and it, I feel that way. I'm like, as a professional evangelist, I'm actually probably more offended than anyone on this train. <laughs> yeah. And so I would turn to people if it was a pro, if you can catch their eye contact and see them roll their eyes, you know, I would turn to people and be like, you know, I'm a religious person and I don't understand what, the, what do you think they're trying to accomplish right now? Hmm. Yeah. And it was such an easy entry off of what I would consider a, a non-relational form of evangelism to then turn to the person next to me and be like, look, I, I actually appreciate, you know, what their intent is, but I don't understand why they're doing this. What You've lived in New York longer than me. What is this? Hmm. And it's it's an interesting piece of feedback, but it also, again, if you can have a conversation, you can have a spiritual conversation. And that includes about uh, the other person's experience with evangelists. Because most Americans have something of that name, you know, whether it's late night television or, you know, street corner preaching or something, they've got opinions. Why not ask? Yeah. Mm. That could be a good strategy. We just send out a team of people, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. One person preaches on the corner yes. and then the other 15 people have conversations about how stupid that person looks and be like, ask If anyone is listening, do not do that. In the missiological world, we call that strategy the Bouchelle family Thanksgiving. We all gang up on one person. We criticize their life choices. Wow. Can't wait to join you guys. Sorry, mom and dad for that joke. That's only that's right. No, no one listens to this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not my parents. Oh man! Well, <laughs> it's role play yes. time now. Now let's role play. No, uh, actually, so day day two. I always say day two because in my mind these are two day trainings uh, that I've modeled my trainings in the last six months after your trainings when it comes to you know, having spiritual evangelistic conversations. So day one is kind of everything we've done in a podcast and a half. And day two is, okay, practice it, Mm -hmm. you know, pair up. And, uh, one person's this person, another, one person's the driver, the other person's the passenger. Uh, so today, uh, figured if you could just kind of walk us through maybe that exercise and then we just kind of model it. Absolutely. So let me say a couple of things just to set ground rules. One, let's not role play because role play, (laughs) Yeah, it's fake. Well, it, it forces you to generate oh, answers wow. that most people wouldn't. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. You know what I mean? You're trying to make up a fake biography on the fly. And so there's a lot of things that don't go naturally. Right. So let's just talk as if we don't know each other. So, so uh, role play. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, there is, there is an element to it, but be yourself. Don't yeah. be a character. Yeah, yeah. So, to that, yes, to it's that point. Artificial. 
Yeah, I was gonna say to that uh, point, yeah, I don't. did I did an exercise with somebody, and I was I was doing this exact same thing with the group, and one person took on this total persona oh, of this anti-Christian, yes. yeah, and no yeah, matter yeah. what, it's like press. It was so funny, and I'm like, okay, this is yeah, this yeah. Is that actually, we used we used to role play in our trainings, and after a few like bad Saturday Night Live auditions, I was like, you just be yourself, why don't you? Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Okay, so we got you. So um, this so, is awkward, Corey. Though, stop, so. stop being the villain from the Kirk Cameron movie. <laughs> <laughs> now you've offended some people. Your references are all over the board, and I love it. I'm gonna, um, yes, I'm with you so far today, though. Anyway, let's so go. so I'm gonna yeah I wanna I wanna sit here and watch because I've done this many times too. Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not doing it. It's you. You want me to be? Mm-hmm. I'm just. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'll, being I'll me. do one of each. If, I, if I get it too makes nervous. I get too nervous. Okay. okay. Well, I'm just gonna be me. Okay. Then never mind. So, Seth, <laughs> all right. So keep going, Seth. Like you'll lead us. I'll be the. I'll be the other person. Yeah, yeah, in the conversation. yeah, yeah, yeah I got you for color commentary. All right. Corey, remind me of the age of your kids. Uh, six. Nate just turned four and two. Okay. Your oldest is he in school? Kindergarten man in the middle of COVID, so it's funky. But yes. Yeah, my. Uh, my goddaughter actually just started kindergarten. What what's that like in Kansas City? Is he in person or is he virtual? Started virtual and is now now fully in person at least at least for now. Who that may change yeah. in the upcoming weeks and months. Tell me about that because I know with a lot of the families that I know in New York, the you know both parents work and they're trying to do virtual school and some of them are trying to do in personal in person school. What? What is your stress level between you and Suzanne doing that? Because I know it it has to be off the charts. It, at first, it was uh, off the charts, and it was just because everything was changing every day, you know. So it was like stress to, oh man, yeah, like just trying. It was like a daily, like like my wife Suze would would basically joke that her entire life is now just creating the schedule for our kids for that week. So that was early on, man. It was it was definitely very stressful. Tell me about, so this is, seems like a little bit of a non sequitur, but it makes sense in my head. But I, I always tell the people that we go to church with, they say, oh, pray for me to have patience. And I say, be careful about praying for patience. Yeah. Because if you pray for patience, God will give you situations you need to practice patience in. You know what I mean? It, it's a learned totally. quality. How, how do you grow in your ability to handle that stress? Because it's not going away. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, cussing towards the sky, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> Dear God, why me? No, but I mean, but in all in all honesty, yeah. Mm. I mean, it is it is a uh, it is pushing our limits, and it is a lot of just like trying to have patience with one another, trying to yeah, just like not let the stress and anxiety overtake us. And it can mm-hmm. it, at times it does feel like it's a little a little too much to handle. Yeah how how do you fill the well back up? Because I know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how religious you are, but I mean, either way, when you're trying to provide care for other people, you can't draw water from a dry well. Yeah. yeah. And I know in 2020, there's no getting off the treadmill. It just, you know, totally. You just brace yourself for the next impact. No, that's so, great. It, what does that look like for you to, to get time to kind of restore and renew? Yeah. For me, I'm trying to wake up early and like actually have an hour by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and actually like try to 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 not have my the patience just come from my own you know personality or my own situations so what do you mean by that like like i got i i know myself 
and I know what how I will respond to situations and it'll be uh, at some point it'll be uh, out of anger or you know my words towards my kids will be out of frustration and and mm-hmm. so I just I need a little bit of time to one be by myself to ask God to 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 essentially give me patience <laughs> to give me his character and <clears throat> and it is it's been it's been a trying thing but for me that's been how we do it. and then and for Susan and I in general it's like been trying to carve some time out where like we can go be by ourselves have a date night um just get away so yeah all right i'm gonna pause there yeah because i i think there are a few different things we can hit on but i don't want to get too far down yeah. conversation so I, I think one of the things i would point out from our interaction is even though it is role play i am not assuming anything about your religious identity yeah. mm-hmm. so the way i ask questions is open for you to respond with whatever level of spirituality you have mm-hmm. so i'm not turning around and like do you believe that do you agree i'm making comments about me and then living it open mm-hmm. and in, in doing that you know, I, this happens to me all the time. I'll discover somebody's more religious than I would have guessed. Yeah. 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 Or, or less, but I'm not going to assume either way based on their background or, or even, you know, I, I guess neighborhood or anything else. Like I'm going to let them tell me, but also this is not an explicitly religious conversation. I'm just making spiritual comments and statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. We're still talking about the same subject we were when it started. Yep. It's really good. Yeah. And I would say, if this were an evangelistic conversation, this demonstrating that I don't have an agenda, I'm not trying to push this conversation anywhere. Yeah. I don't have an end goal. And and most spiritual conversations will taper off and change subjects at some point, even if they're very dynamic and intimate. Yeah. Because they're not an elevator speech, they don't have a close. Mm. Like almost any conversation, they'll just weave in and out. Uh-huh. And... If, if we wanted 10 minutes to go back to something, hey, earlier when you said that, I was just thinking about that. Can we, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But they will often not end on like a high note or a decision. You know what I mean? Right. Right. They'll often just cycle back around in the small talk and, and somebody will walk in that breaks our attention or, or one of us has to go. So anyway, yeah. just a couple of things I would want to point out about expectations for a conversation like this if, if it were a real evangelist interaction. Absolutely. Brian, as a, uh, as an outside observer of that conversation, I mean, what, what stood out, uh, and I don't know, just what stood out to you in that? I was thinking as you were asking those questions, you're really good at asking questions yeah. and not everybody is. Mm. I mean, just in general, I, in some ways that sounds like, well, that's dumb. Just be better. Um, mm. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I'm always asking questions, but while I was sitting there listening to it, I was like, man, I just, I've, I've, I sit with a lot of people who just don't know how to ask questions really well. Mm. And part of it is they're listening. And it goes back to that whole thing of you should listen and not be preparing what your next thing is. Mm. But for people that aren't good at asking questions, like they kind of need to do that, uh, you know, <laughs> to mm. be prepared to fill the gap because, now, as a person that doesn't like a lot of silence, that's one thing, and that's my own problem. But I'm always wanting to fill the gap with that next question. But one of the things that I watched you do that I encourage people in is just play off of whatever they said. 
which is what you were doing. Like every time right. he's saying something, you're just taking it one step further or something else jumped into your head. But there is there is something there that you are very gifted at quickly thinking about how to keep that rolling and keep that moving, which makes people feel comfortable. Sure. Well, and, I think, and I'm not saying it's not a skill you can grow in. I'm just no, I, recognizing yeah, I think, you're good at it. I appreciate that. I, I think it's twofold. I think some of that's personality, but yeah. you know, one of the, it, it's not one of our main maxims, but it is one I use a lot of ministry. I say nothing is natural until it's intentional. Yeah, that's good. And so if you've never practiced a skill, yeah, why would you be smooth at it? I mean, maybe you have a, an above average talent, but you still haven't developed it until you've really to, to a level of naturalness until you've spent a lot of time in it. I've spent a whole lot of time having these conversations. They mm-hmm. weren't this natural yeah. early on. Right. Right. And, and again, some of it is a, a, a fair amount of it is about managing your own anxiety. And I'm pretty non-anxious in this setting because uh-huh. I've done the work to, to not be. Yeah. 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 But also if you genuinely don't have an agenda for the other person, there are very few ways to fail. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, Corey is not going to do or say anything that ruins this because right. I don't have an agenda for him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And my stumbling over language or being awkward is not really that big of a threat either. Yeah. Like very few people die every year of awkwardness. It's <laughs> very low. And, 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 so and you know, lo- I really feel like love uh, to take a scripture and change it a little bit. Love covers a multitude of awkwardness. <laughs> and that's, that's a hundred percent right. And so yeah. does, so does sincerity. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm awkward in a way that makes you feel like I'm trying to, to manipulate this interaction, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. If I'm yeah. awkward, cause you can tell I I'm really sincere about what I'm saying and I don't quite know how to articulate it. That's usually pretty forgivable. Yeah. yeah um, and again, I, I don't think meta communication is, is bad in these kind of interactions. You can talk about the interaction itself in the midst of it and say, boy, that came out awkwardly, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> then you can both laugh at it and it's just totally, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah. it did. You're like, my bad, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not, there's nothing at risk here. It doesn't need to be smooth. It's not a sales pitch. Yeah. You know, there's recently, I've been dubbed the nickname Awkward Corey uh, by Brian, and I'm not sure <laughs> something That's one. recent? Uh, oh, yeah. as, as far, as the official nickname is recent. We have another Corey and kind of core leadership team uh, with an underground, and somehow he's become Smooth Corey. But I'm just saying. We did give you other cool nicknames that day, like Killer Corey and Corio. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, those haven't seen the stick. <laughs> just awkward, Corey. But I'm just there. There are way worse things in awkwardness when it's when it's uh, clothed in sincerity and love. And as in your point, um, and I just I think that is it's really good to hear. And when I when I talk about this with people, and I actually look at my wife as my as the best question asker I know. Like Suze can have a conversation with anyone about anything because she just asks them about the things they like. Mm -hmm. And then she just keeps asking more and more about those things. Uh, What I love about just the, this whole way of, of teaching and talking about it is that sometimes I think we go overboard and we say, Hey, just, you know, just show love. Like, like you don't even need to say a word, just, you know, fill in the blank. Like, 
preach the yes. preach the gospel always and when necessary use words and like i get that but it is such an easy like excuse to never actually say words mm-hmm. and so sure. and but then we have the other side where it's like we won't even like engage people relationally we won't serve them we just want we want to give our pitch we want to knock on yes. their door get them saved or whatever and what i love about just the way in which you're communicating this it is it's best of both worlds like we want to be intentional we want to yeah. talk about jesus in in the natural ways where people are actually experiencing either the hurt or the need or fill in the blank for jesus so you're being intentional in the way you're speaking about it but like it's not it's not an agenda and that's yeah. so good well and i think the what you're describing is what we grew up calling kind of friendship evangelism, yeah. which is like, I'll just be a really nice, good person. And then one day they'll ask me to come out of the closet because they'll be like, why are you so much better than everyone I know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And, it, and that's a, that's hyperbole, but it, it was akin to that. Right. And I think that's rooted in some pretty bad theology. Mm. I think it assumes that, that non-Christian people are not virtuous. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. we'll notice your virtue and ask you about it. Mm-hmm. in a way that is not particularly true. And one of the ways we've tried to invert that we talked about last time was that sort of beatitude evangelism. So rather than expect that you will ask me about my good character, why don't I come and ask you about yours yeah. Amen. And, and and try to bless and, and affirm that from the position of my faith? Mm. Because you, I've never met anyone who doesn't have some quality that I admire. Like they may be a, a really dysfunctional and destructive person, but there's something that I can say, you know, I want to be like that. I, yeah. I want to have that, you know, no matter what it is. Uh, and it doesn't, again, this is not about, well, let me say it this way. I am not a believer that in order to do evangelism, you have to tell people the bad news before they hear good news. Yeah. yeah. Because I've never met anyone or discipled anyone who didn't already feel pretty broken. Like life is hard and adults are not unaware of, of damaging elements in their life. Or I'm not saying they understand the extent of it or see it through a Christian worldview, but I'm just saying like there's aspects of the gospel that are good news without me needing to come kick you in the face and like convince you that, you know, you can decide for yourself if you need Jesus, but you probably know the broken elements of your life more than I do. I don't need to come in and and tell you what they are. I, I might want to come in and ask you what they are. And I bet you have a you have a pretty keen sense of it. You're having to live your life. Yeah, that's really good. You know, also just becoming such a good question asker, kind of like what you guys were talking about earlier. The there are seasons in life that it's even more ripe or maybe easier to have uh, to have questions like that, and that would elicit a more intentional response. And so I, I've been telling people the phrase I've been using a lot is like what took me six months to have a spiritual conversation in this season with, you know, COVID to racial tension to political angst, uh, all these things. It now takes six minutes, you know, a couple yeah. good questions. And, and I mean, even with some friends the other day, it's uh, we're talking about politics. I mean, kind of I'm doing all that I can to avoid it. Uh, but in that, like we quickly got to just this, this unrest in people's, you know, minds and hearts. And I can, mm-hmm. you can ask them like, where's that coming from? What do you, what are you doing about that? You know, like, is it just basic, very similar to questions you just asked me? And it's like, it is, it is way less intimidating 
to pursue that sort of conversation in this season, I think, from my perspective, than maybe in other seasons. And uh, and so, yeah, just uh, as listeners to this, just encourage yeah. encourage you to step into that now. I mean, today, in the networks that God has placed you in, um, how can you kind of step into more intentionality in, in conversation even today? I think so. I think, you know, a good practice, if, if you were trying to build up to this as a skill, which again, I it's not it's not gonna be natural until it's intentional but if if you're looking to have just better conversations in general as a way of trying to build up to having spiritual conversations the more often you can say the following phrase the better conversations you're probably going to have here here's your silver bullet i don't know almost anything about that will you tell me about it (laughs) and and every time somebody says a, a public figure or a historical event or some piece of media if if you're not intimately familiar with it just say you know i don't know much about that will you tell me about it or i've heard of that but i'm not entirely sure i know what it is but tell me more about that yeah and again tell me more about that i it's a little aggressive the way i said it but i live in new york could you tell me more you know phrase how you need to phrase it but What's the people Midwest like to talk about people like to talk about themselves they like to yeah. to be asked i mean they're they're inappropriate modes of asking questions, but by and large, people would like to be asked questions. Yeah. And if they say something about their own feelings, their own history, their own experience, I tell me more about that. That sounds interesting. And again, it, I don't need to be in the authoritative position in the spiritual conversation. Mm. I don't need to be in the teaching position or the expert position. I can be in, in the more passive asking questions. And then, yeah, that actually reminds me of something or, or let me run something by you. Cause that's an interesting thought. Yeah. And I can continue to to listen well and choose somewhere between my own intuition and, and the Holy Spirit. What's an appropriate way to respond to that? What's an appropriate story to tell? You know what I mean? But yeah. I don't have to be interpreting things for you or or trying to move you to a certain moment or decision in this conversation. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to be a learner. Amen. So I have uh, one more direction I want to take this before we close, but I didn't know if, if Brian, if you had any other thoughts, questions. No, I'm just pondering. I'm trying to, like I'm running through my head, all the stories that I can recall of Jesus having conversations yeah. with people. Cause uh, we want to do things like Jesus does them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to I, I appreciate and value the no agenda because I've lived my life mostly with an agenda for other people, yeah. which, which sounds gross to say that out loud. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like woman at the well, Zacchaeus, woman caught in adultery, man, he heals, mm. Peter, like all along the way, these people that are bought in close to him, people that are not bought in close to him. Yeah. Like it still feels like, I'm not sure an agenda is entirely evil. Well, I, have no, a, again, I have a desire or a purpose of bringing sure. good news. So I need to, I, and I want you to experience this. Sure. Well, and again, the, the maxim is not no agenda. It's no agenda f- for the other person. It's an agenda for me. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, when Jesus has a conversation with the rich young ruler, you know, he grieves when the rich young ruler walks away, mm-hmm. but he doesn't chase him down and try to convince him otherwise. And in that sense, my agenda 
you know, is pretty unapologetic. I'm going to tell Bible stories and ask questions about it. I'm going to point out things that you say that that resonate with my faith and, and ask questions about it. I'm going to ask insight and advice about things with my churches. I'm going to tell stories from my church. I have an agenda hmm. because I long-term would like to be in a discipling relationship with you. But I'm not going to judge my success or failure based on whether or not I'm persuading you. You're in charge of you. And so it's not as if I don't have an agenda, but I don't have an agenda for you. You get to be in charge of you. And I think that, I think that love and coercion are, are mutually exclusive. Mm, I cannot cool. both love you and try to manipulate you. Yeah. I think that it breaks down at that point, but I can do my best to communicate in ways that I hope and think you might respond to. Mm. That's really good. I think listeners, Here's your homework. One of a couple things is that you should listen to both these podcasts and every like nugget no, sentence no, that no. Seth it's says like that you made, that you said. Whoa, yeah. and write it write it down, which is what I like to do with with uh, with Seth as well. So uh, just about the agenda thing, my my thought on it is we do we have an ultimate agenda. And you know, like I I want people to know the good news of Jesus. I want people to walk in his footsteps and follow him and find salvation and new life. Like I have an ultimate agenda for every person I'm talking to, but that is different. That is not, that's not a coercive. I have an agenda for this conversation for you to get from this place to this mm -hmm. place and say this in response to this. Yeah. So, I, well, again, I, you know, the, the parable of the sower, the sower goes out, the sower casts seed everywhere. They cast it everywhere. But the parable doesn't end, and then the, the sower came back and spent days digging out all the rocks and pulling out all the weeds and mm -hmm. shooing away all the birds so that all soil was good soil. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, no, I, I need to recognize whose work this is. Mm -hmm. And I can plant seeds, I can, I can water and cultivate things, but I cannot produce fruit. Mm -hmm. And if I take responsibility for that, I am taking away... Uh, something that belongs to God and in another sense belongs to the person sitting in front of me. Mm. And what I'm in danger of is making them a means to an end for mm -hmm. my own self-validation. Mm -hmm. yeah. That I, I care about them hearing the gospel, but I've stopped caring about them because I need them not to fail me. Yeah. I need them to respond the way I want them to or else my sense of self is damaged. My sense of calling is, is in question. And let's be a little more secure than that and say... I don't have the ability to produce fruit, so I'm just going to scatter indiscriminately. Mm. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to shift this just a little bit. As uh, I think you said this last podcast, but there's uh, if we have the framework of like a discovery based approach of, of discipleship, mm -hmm. then our evangelism is also kind of a discovery based approach, right? We want to ask yes. questions. We want people to uh, seek God for answers, not, not me as the answer provider. And, um, and, and I'd love to just kind of hear either your thoughts or your experience of how these conversations lead into more intentional discovery environments, you know, discovery Bible studies yeah. or part of micro church environments, discovering Jesus together, just like kind of walk us through yeah. some of that. Let me, can you, is there a, is, is it possible for you to pick back up on the conversation that you were just having to do that. I was actually going to suggest something else. I was going to suggest uh, Brian and I having a conversation yes. and see if we can insert yes. that. So you, okay. We've got a problem here. 
I don't like your level of excitement. I'm looking at Brian with, <laughs> with anticipation here. So yeah, great idea. I'm, so Brian, tell me this. I, you mentioned earlier, you said you have a problem with silence. Uh, where do you think that comes from? Ooh. See how I couldn't just sit there and let it be while I thought of my answer. I had to just ramble on. Uh, it's shooting from the hip, probably an insecurity and a need for control to kind of mm. like control the, the direction of a conversation and to always feel like I'm in charge or have some sort of power. I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe I'm silence, wrong. <laughs> silence is an important discipline in my own prayer practice. And I, this is actually the first year in about a decade I haven't had a chance to do a silent retreat during the summer. But I, I'm curious because it's something I, I know that a lot of people have problems with silence. Um, well, actually, the other day in church, we were reading a story that I, I would be interested to get your take on because I think you'd have a different perspective than I would. Uh, is that all right to run it by you? I'd love to hear just your insight yeah. on it. So we were at church, I guess it was a few months ago now because it was closer to uh, Easter. But uh, there's a story in Luke where John the Baptist, before he's born, you know, an angel comes to his dad. He says, you're going to have a baby. But the, the dad is like, we're super old. That's not possible. Mm. And so the, the angel tells him, you know, he takes away his ability to speak for the rest of the pregnancy. And everybody, and so he has to come out and, you know, he writes it on this, I don't know, uh, it's probably not a scroll, whatever you write on 2,000 years ago. <laughs> And he's, and he's like, you know, we'll call it baby John, whatever. So that's one of the things we're talking about church. It's like, why would, why would God respond that way to being questioned? Like what, what would that accomplish? And I have no idea, honestly, I, I'm uncomfortable with the implications of that, but you have some experience with silence and the discomfort of it. What, what would that be meant to teach someone? Why would you do that? Mm. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I have to get over the uh, the thought of uh, going nine months without speaking. <laughs> uh, I mean, perhaps it's related to the answer that I just gave. You know, there's some sense of Say more a, about that, a lack of control, um, a forced uh, period of time to listen to others. Uh, to pay attention to what's going on in deeper ways, to learn new ways to communicate, is to realize like there's a level of powerlessness, I would think. And that's interesting. I mean, he's a he's a priest as well, uh, or you know, he's ministering before the Lord or whatever that language is. So I assume there's some level of he has authority assumed about him. You know, that he doesn't get to um, project for that next season. Um, I don't know. No, that's a really interesting thought. Tell me, well, I I, I have two branching thoughts off that, and I don't know which one to go with. But I think, I know one of the things that a lot of people I run into, both religious and non-religious, they have a problem with how often God is silent. Mm. And I'm, I'm interested in this thread that or the dots you're connecting between silence and speaking and power. Mm. I, can you play in that sandbox for a minute? What, what does it say about God? What would it teach about God that God is so often chooses silence <laughs> in the world? Yeah. He's clearly not without power. So 
that kind of flips what I'm saying on my head. Uh, not on my head, on its head. Um, again, I'm shooting from the hip here. I guess to flip well, no, it, I, flip I, it I'm a bit would you're be insightful. It's not. There's. I don't have an answer in my back pocket. I'm interested <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if if he is, I'm not sure that he's silent. Hmm. Um, like that's the first sort of response I have. I think it appears as though he is silent because we don't hear these audible, um, you know, vibrations of a voice coming out of vocal cords. So we assume silence, but I think he can speak in so many other ways beyond just what we're doing here. Hmm. But I would also maybe suggest it's an opportunity to pay attention to all the other ways he is speaking hmm. and to be aware of that. And there is a sense, there actually, I suppose, is a sense of his confidence in his own um, being and who he is to give the freedom to say, like, I'm going to be more quiet than you. <laughs> you know, hmm. if you want me, you'll, you'll be with me. You'll pay attention to me. You'll, look for the other ways I'm communicating to you. I don't, I don't have to like be authoritative and speak over you and, you know, make these things, you know, that you can hear so that you'll feel and know it's okay. I'm here or whatever. Um, I'm rambling now. So that's interesting. I, cause if I'm hearing you right, it connects the thing you said initially, which is that a lot of your inability to be silent comes out of a certain anxiety or insecurity and it does strike me if anyone has cause not to be anxious and insecure, it would be God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Uh, tell me this, because I, you know, I always say to our house, I say, what you believe about God determines what it means to be godly. Uh, hmm. And you're talking earlier about being a, you know, John the Baptist's father being a priest and, and having a position of authority. You know, I, I'm in ministry. I often don't know when to speak or not into different issues, when to be silent, when to, you know, try to have a word of encouragement or something like that. How do you determine that in your own life? What, how do you know when is the right time to speak and when's the right time to be silent? I do not know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't either. I think there's a, a feeling in the deep places that I'm learning about that in grief and pain, sometimes there is a greater need to just be present rather than use words. Mm. Um, it's interesting. I actually was talking to a friend yesterday. I'm kind of in a season where I'm trying to pull back and not speak in so many situations. Mm -hmm. And as a result, people in my life that are used to a projection one way, are responding with, are you okay? Is mm. there something wrong? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. But because it's not my normal like posture outward, it's like something must be wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hmm. So let's pause there. Um, Brian, I thought that was good. So I'm sorry if you felt uncomfortable. But um, no, 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 that's good. I'm actually, but I was I, learning a lot while I was doing that. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think, again, a few things I would just point out observationally, again, didn't assume anything about your religious identity. 
also didn't ask specifically. I'm happy to keep that going. Um, and I'm trying to ask questions that, that again, I always, I talk about evangelism a lot. Is I'm not trying to teach you something, but an agenda, I would love to put a theological rock in your shoe and let you walk around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kick it out if you want, but if, if you do walk around with it and it irritates you, that to me is a, is a decent outcome from an evangelistic conversation. Mm. Yeah. Because if it causes you to continue to think and process something after, that's better than one where, no, I agree with that, and that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's good. Yeah. Um, but I think also maybe worth noting because I've I've had people say this in trainings. What we just had is a fairly deep conversation for regular social interaction, mm-hmm. but it's not very hard to go there with people. Yeah. And they'll be pretty quick to indicate if they don't want to. Yeah, they will. You're right. And and it's not an offensive thing for them to just answer in a superficial way, like take a hint. Yeah. But it's also not offensive to ask because a lot of people will just open right up. That's right. Yeah. Because again, they, it's there's no agenda for you, and so you're free to respond and help navigate this to the level you're comfortable. Which means I'm free to kind of mirror that and go you know, into some places that might normally seem deeper or more intimate than a conversation with a stranger, but you're the one that gave me permission for that, you know, by, by having reciprocity there. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would point out is that I, I, what essentially we just did was a very stripped down version of an oral discovery Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I told you a story. Yep. I asked, what does this teach about God? What does this teach about life? How do we put this into practice? And and in doing that, it makes for a very easy ask if that goes well to say, you know, I, I'm glad I asked because you you know you were insightful, you you were helpful there. This is exactly what we do at church, or the churches we start. You know, we have these kind of conversations. I'm I don't want to be the teacher in the room. I prefer to ask questions. If you ever wanted to be part of that, I think it would really benefit me. Mm. And you know, yeah. if you enjoy that kind of conversation, I'd be interested in having that again. Yeah. That's one of the things that was in my mind. I know we only have a few minutes left, but this was uh there's there's a part of me that is going, "All right, so how do you close the deal and get somebody to cross the line of faith?" Because that's the framework that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. It but what I love about like I, it's not that I don't live in that framework because I still want people at some point to say Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. But understanding that it's not always a flip of the switch, black and white, it went on. There it is. And understanding, like, out of this sort of conversation, again, it's just like, hey, you know, I want to invite you into this thing. We do this discovery Bible study in our home. And, again, there's this, like, continual progress of um, bending my ways to the rhythms and the ways of Jesus, discipling to Jesus, and then continuing on in that. There's not I like a, I reach the end, now I start my new thing. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I cannot tell you when the disciples convert. Exactly, yeah. I can tell you when they start to follow Jesus. I can tell you when some of them are baptized. Yeah. But, you know, halfway through the Gospel of Mark, only one in 12 is calling him Christ, and he gets called Satan for thinking, yeah. you know. Right. Well, yeah. he's also right. told that he didn't come up with the answer himself, so did it really right. count? <laughs> right, but, you know, the only one with the right Sunday school answer is getting called Satan in that interaction. Not a great track record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the last question that the apostles asked Jesus before he ascends in Acts 1 
they say is now the time and you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Yeah. Still. I, that that's the last conversation they have with an earthly Jesus. Mm. And I just imagine he ascends to heaven with like a face palm. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he does turn over the keys in that interaction. He's like, all yeah. right, you guys take over. Yeah. You know, in, in Acts 15, they're still arguing about whether or not it's right to, to not eat kosher or to eat with Gentiles. Yep. So yep. whatever, whatever conversion looks like. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know that it's so much a moment. Yeah. I think it's a process, and I want to respect that process and how little ability I have to affect it. Well, I have I do have a friend that he makes the comment, you know, if if our names are written in a book of life, at some point somebody put pen to paper. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. I'm not trying to pull up some crazy theological conversation. No, 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 do not I, push I, that too far. No, but you're right, though, yeah. you know, well, I think I I think about baptism and conversion similar to a wedding. Mm-hmm. It is not a starting line or a finish line in a relationship, but it's a pretty important and pivotal moment yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. And in a similar way, I I would love to help you celebrate that kind of covenant and commitment to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But so but moving moving up the wedding date and moving back the wedding date can both mm. be signs of an unhealthy relationship. Oh man, <laughs> that's such a beautiful so, metaphor and so biblical at the same time. Yeah. And re- which is really where I was trying to push that. It's like I don't, mm. I just don't I don't have that weight on me anymore mm-hmm. because I think we're on this continuum of moving towards Jesus or moving not moving towards Jesus right, uh, for everybody. And so I think at the end of the day, this this idea behind gospel conversations, there's like a ton, a mountain of good stuff in these last two podcasts to me that was like so helpful. But returning again to this ease of his yoke is easy, his burden is light. If you're feeling some pressure to convert the world, be done with it. Amen. Well, I think also this is not a terminal skill. This is a, a foundational skill. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about discipling a person, we're talking about a much larger set of abilities and tools. And to your point, while I don't have an agenda when I'm starting spiritual conversations, I do have an agenda when I'm leading a church yeah. because that's a different type of relationship. There's a different type of commitment there and role. Yeah. And I think it's much more appropriate to have an agenda in that setting because the people in that room have have consented mm. but the, if you're talking to a stranger on the street they've not consented for you to form them mm-hmm. and until you have that you shouldn't assume it mm-hmm. really good. but once you're in a community where they say no we're, we're dedicated to certain ways of life a yeah. certain mission okay well that's a different thing you know it's like it's like i don't go around parenting other people's kids but <laughs> <laughs> But the children who are in my life, I understand what level of authority I'm granted there, and yeah. I want to honor that. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Seth, I just I feel like we could talk on and on and on and on, but we won't. Yeah, we need to wrap this up. Um, and I just appreciate you, man. Thank you for all the wisdom bombs. Hey, we want to end with – we do this with all of our our guests is to yeah, basically sure. just say – um, so us as KC Underground, you're you know a little familiar with what we're trying to do here in, in, in Kansas City, and and if if really just have a moment for you to speak over us, you know if the Lord has given you a word or um, just an encouragement, exhortation that you'd have for Underground, we would just love to to hear it and receive it. So no pressure, but but pressure. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I- Nothing comes to mind specifically for you guys, but I will echo something I think I said in the last episode, which is, you know, that that maxim about what you believe about God determines what it means to be godly. Mm-hmm. And I am 
I am deeply convicted that God is not anxious about the status of kingdom in the world. Mm, amen. And God is not afraid of whether or not the mission of God will fail. And if that is true, then it is godly not to be afraid about the failure of God's mission and not to be anxious about the status of kingdom in the world. Mm. It is godly to to engage my ministry that way because it is it is the way in which God sees the world. Mm. Amen. Well, that's lifting. It's good news. It's yeah. good news right there. So it is. Seth, we appreciate you. Thanks so much for taking two weeks to to help equip our people. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, we'll bring you to KC. I would like that. I would. I would like to. Uh, to, to. I would like to criticize your barbecue on no other grounds than that I am from Texas. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give you an opportunity, even if it's better. I. I will probably not admit it. Yeah. So let's do this. Perfect. All right. Well, it's a date. We'll see you soon, right. man. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Underground Podcast. We hope that it's either been an encouragement to you or that it's created a curiosity about what it means to live into a missionary mindset with an aim to make disciples and see the church emerge. If you're a missionary or a microchurch in Kansas City and you're looking for coaching or just belonging within a network, we'd love to connect with you so we can learn about what you are doing and how you are joining Jesus for gospel saturation in this city. If you're outside the Kansas City area and have questions about what it would mean to catalyze a disciple-making movement that leads to the emergence of microchurches in every network within your city, we'd love to connect with you as well and offer whatever resources might be helpful to you. You can find out more at kcunderground.com. Grace and peace, friends.